I want you to turn in your Bibles um, to the book of Acts. And this is kind of something that's coming out of our study through the Revelation. And it's also kind of tying into what we've been talking about on Sundays. On Sunday's last few couple Sundays, we've been talking about getting ready. Getting ready for, 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 next, for a next season. Getting ready for whatever God's got for you in your life. How do you, how do you get ready for that? How do you prepare yourself? How do you stay ready? Last Sunday, we talked about how the Scripture tells us to be sober and alert. You know, how, how it tells us that, that we're supposed to be awake during this time, not asleep, but awake. And uh, the question might come up, like, what are we waiting for? What are we, what are we alert for? What are, what are we staying alert for? What's the point of that? And I think, I think it's, it, it's everything from big picture stuff to little picture stuff. I mean, certainly there's, there's new things that God's got for you in your life, um, that may not seem like a big deal to everybody else, but it's a big deal to you. And uh, you need to be aware of that. You need to be walking in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, so you know when this time is coming. How do I step into a new season? But, but also we understand that, and we should understand that as, as, a, as the body of Christ, we're living in what the Scripture calls the last days, the end times. Um, but a lot of times when people hear those phrases, um, different things pop into their heads. Half the body of Christ just, just checks out already. They don't want to talk about this because they've just heard a little too much about it. Um, uh, maybe another section of the church um, might, you know, what we're tempted with because uh, as we read through the book of Revelation, as we've been reading through, uh, you know, if you read through the book of Daniel, through the book of Ezekiel, there's a lot of really powerful imagery there. Uh, even, even reading Jesus' uh, exhortations to his disciples about what was ahead, you know that there's some signs and some things that are happening that are, uh, quite frankly, freaky. And uh, so sometimes the temptation is to get off on, you know, apocalyptic tourism, I guess we could call it, which is just like, let's just uh, be freaked out together um, and let's just think of all the crazy stuff that's going to happen. You know, when I was uh, in, in fifth grade, the Gideons came by our school. And I think I told you this, but I'll tell you again. I, the Gideons came by our school and gave us a little red Bible. <laughs> And that was such a powerful thing that they were able to do that. That was amazing. Little Red New Testament. Many of you got the same thing. Maybe it looked different when you were in school. But they came right into the public school and gave us a New Testament. It was an awesome thing because the immediate, the first thing a fifth grader is going to do, they're not going to put it in their backpack. They're going to start flipping through it. And they knew I was a believer. So they asked me what they should read. And you know what? If I had to go back, I would have told them something totally different. I would have said, well, look at, oh, you should read the book of John. It's so awesome. Look, look find out more about Jesus. I, or, you know, read this, read the book of Romans, whatever. No, I didn't do that because I wanted to be cool in the moment. So I said, let's look at the book of Revelation. And, and I pointed them straight to the uh, creatures that come out of the abyss. <laughs> I pointed them to the several-headed beast. I pointed them to all these things and said, this is, this is awesome, right? And, and they were suitably freaked out and excited, but I don't know if they got any closer to Jesus through that. And uh, sometimes it's tempting when we talk about the last days, the end times. Uh, to, you know, we need to know about signs and what, uh, things, you know. We're going to talk a little bit about what, 
Peter told, uh, told the church, uh, even the ones that weren't saved yet, what he told them about the last days, what he told them about the prophecy that Joel gave. And, and part of that included signs in the heavens and signs on the earth beneath. So we need to be aware of that. But I think a lot of what we miss is in talking about the last days and the end times, it's, it's, it's not super common for somebody to actually go back to the scripture and say, what does the Bible say we're supposed to do about it? Do you know what I mean? Sometimes we get so hung up on the signs of the times that we forget what we're supposed to do about it. How do you know what to do? I mean, maybe you're a doomsday prepper. And you've got, a, you've, got a, you've got some hole dug in the ground. But when I read the scripture talk about the last days and the last times and the last days, you know, one theme, and we'll get into this in another week, but one theme that pops up in almost every New Testament reference to the last days is an encouragement, in fact, a command to stay in the love of God. It's always connected. I mean, you could go through it point by point and see how Jesus says, in the last days, people's love will grow, grow, grow cold. How Jude says, this is in the last days, this will happen. But you, keep yourself in the love of God. Romans 13, he says, now, th this is the time. The end is almost here. This has almost happened. The, the salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Therefore, he says, knowing the time, do this. And he's already talked about, he's talked about loving one another. And he says, do this, loving one another, knowing the time that it's almost the end. I could go through example after example, and at another point we will. But it's funny, because when I think back of growing up, I was a little fascinated with the end times too, still am. But I would read books about it, and I didn't see a lot of books about the end times that talked about love. You know what I'm saying? I didn't see a lot of books about the last days that talked about how we should stay in the love of God. No, the books were all about the freaky stuff that's happening. Who's the Antichrist? I'm not saying that's not important. But, uh, you know, the scripture doesn't say, in the last days, the church needs to figure out who the Antichrist is. Doesn't say, in the last days, you need to peg down the date. Doesn't say, in the last days, you need to figure out, you need to radically oppose the, the new world order. Whatever your eschatology is. What it does say, in all of these passages, plus is that you need to focus on what God put you here to do. Stay in the love of God. Do the work of the ministry. Win the people of Jesus around you. These are the things we're supposed to be doing because Jesus said, when the master comes back, what will he find you doing? Will he find you at work doing what he left you there to do? I've used this example before, but allow me to use it again. If you're managing the McDonald's over there and you're the manager and you say to your staff, I'm going to be back... Around sundown. So, you know, keep you guys run the place, make sure everything's going good. I'll be back around sundown. Now, quite frankly, nobody really talks like that. Nobody says sundown anymore. <laughs> Maybe they say around supper time I'll be back. What do you want your staff to do? Do you want them to stop everything and plan a party for your return? Do you want them to take bets as to what minute you're going to come back and wait by the door like puppy dogs? No, you want them to do what you left them there to do so that when you come back, the work's been done. Right. right? What does Jesus want from us? He wants us to be aware, aware of the season, awake and aware, right? Know the time. I'm not saying ignore it. Know it. He wants us to take the warning seriously. These things will happen in the last days. But he wants us to say he's already told us what to do about it.
That's the beautiful thing. He's already said, here's what you do. So through the next few weeks, what we're going to do on Wednesday nights is we're going to go through the scriptures that talk about it so that more than just the freaky idea, if you're freaked out by the word or the phrase, end times or last days, hopefully you won't be freaked out about it anymore because we're actually going to look at what the scripture says we should do about it. Because I think that's important. It's good to know the seasons. It's good to know the, the signs. It's good to know all this stuff. But the most important thing is what is God telling his church to do in these times? So let's, let's go to the book of Acts. One of the first things you need to figure out is what in the world is the last days? When, did that, when does that start? Has it started? Is it going to start? Has it been going on for a while? What does it even mean? And... You know, if we were to take a poll, listen, if we were to just like get five people in a room, in this room, take five of you, put you in another room, and say, what are, you, what are your opinions about the end times? We would have five people but six opinions about what's supposed to happen. And that's okay. Now, I'm not one of those guys who says, well, we're all right. You know, all roads lead to the same place. No, probably somebody's more right than the others, but um, we can focus on what we do know. Right? And we should focus on it. Here's what he says in the book of Acts, chapter 2. This is the day of Pentecost. I'll give you some background. <clears throat> you know the background of the book day of Pentecost, but what you may not know is the background to the prophecy that's about to be quoted. The prophet Joel had just experienced a massive locust plague in Israel. Um, devoured the crops, devoured the vineyards. And Joel is right in the middle of this crisis. And he's calling out to God. And, and the way Joel puts it, he doesn't believe this is a coincidence. Joel says, we did this to ourselves. We brought this on ourselves. But he says, God, would you have mercy on us? And, and he calls out to God. One of the things he talks about is he says, you know, he actually says, I feel sorry for the drunks because there are no more grapes left, which is a nice thing for a prophet to say. <laughs> but he also says one of the things that bothers him the most is that there's no longer going to be a grain offering for the Lord because all the crops are gone. It's just a really, that uh, shows his, where his heart's at. He says there's not even going to be an offering for the Lord. We, we, we want to give a grain offering, but we don't have any grain left because the locusts ate it. He says, God, is there an end to this? God, we repent. What's, com what's coming next? God says, I'm going to restore all of this. He says, I'll do it for my name. But he says, he gives them a picture of what's going to happen. But then he just goes, like God so often does, he goes beyond the present and he goes way into the future. And he says, there's a day where I'm going to restore all of this. Be beyond what you can imagine. He says, in those days, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to restore this, I'm going to restore this, I'm going to restore this. And then he says this famous line through Joel that we're about to read Peter quote again, that in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Now this isn't the only time God's been saying this. In fact, he's been saying it throughout the Old Testament, right? There's this really cool story. I don't know if you've read it in the book of Numbers where Moses is in the tent of meeting with God. You see, Moses would come into the tent of meeting and meet with God, and the Bible says God would talk to him face to face as a man does his friend. But there's a moment where he brings the 70 elders in with him, and they each get a touch. They each get a portion of the Spirit on them. Like normally, 
It's just Joshua and Moses in the tent. This time he brings all the elders, and they all get the spirit on them, and they all just start prophesying to each other, which is really cool. Then Joshua says, Moses, there's two guys out there that weren't at the tent, and they're prophesying. Should we go shut them down? Which reminds you of what the disciples said to Jesus, right? There's people casting out demons in your name. Should we shut them down? And Jesus said, hey, if they're not against us, they're for us, right? Like, you know, they're, this isn't a problem. This is a good thing. Well, Joshua said to Moses, there were some folks that weren't at the tent, and they're prophesying, should we shut it down? And Moses said, he said this. He says, do you think I'm jealous about this? He says, are you jealous for me? You think I'm worried about this? He said, oh, how I wish everybody, that, that the Spirit fell on everybody and they all prophesied. So many times we think of Moses as this big judgmental dude. Listen, if you had the people that Moses had and you stayed as sane as Moses stayed, you need an award. <laughs> there were times where Moses talked seemingly, talk God out of destroying the whole group, right? So we just see Moses as this really gruff, like, oh, I hate these people. But really, he's a pretty patient guy. And this is such a great example of him. Listen, what, what's the context? He's been with the Spirit of God. What does John say? John says, if anybody says they've been with God but don't love people, they're lying. Right, So the evidence of Moses being with God. Now you might say, well, when, when Moses was God and he came down the mountain, he wasn't very nice then. True. But he was re reacting to massive idolatry. And he got into his own flesh a little bit. But in this moment, Moses has been in the tent of meeting with the Spirit of God and he's seen something peculiar. He's seen other people beside himself, besides him, filled and, and, and uh, used by the Holy Spirit. They couldn't, the spirit wasn't indwelling them like he does you and me, but he was on all of them and they were prophesying. And in that moment, Moses doesn't care if two other guys are doing it. He's in fact happy and he says, I wish we'd all do this. What he's getting is a preview of what God wants to do in the New Testament. This is what God says. He says to Jeremiah, he says, in those days... Somebody won't have to say to the other one, know the Lord, for all will know me. There's this powerful thought that he says, he says, to, he says to Jeremiah, he says, I'm going to make a new covenant with them. He says, they're not going to look to, to, to these letters written out and say, this is the law. He says, my law, my ways are going to be written right on their hearts. And he says, my spirit's going to be in them. My word's going to be on their lips. So God's been promising this for a while. And then Peter gets up. And everybody is speaking and praising God in other tongues. And everyone there, these 3,000 devout people, are hearing it in their own language. Even though there's a wide group of languages, each one is hearing the whole group speak their language, praising God. Then there's another group. We have to understand, this is another group. There's 3,000, and they hear people praising God. But then it says, there were others mocking, saying they're full of sweet wine. Well, it says that the 3,000 were devout. 3,000 were devout people. These were people looking for God, and so they heard what God wanted them to hear. But there were others that weren't looking for God, and it's much like when God spoke about Jesus and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Some heard the voice of God, and others heard thunder. In this case, 3,000 people heard people praising God, but then another group comes along and starts mocking and saying they're full of sweet wine. Peter gets up. 
The, the same Peter that denied that he knew Jesus. The same Peter that locked himself away. The same Peter that really wouldn't take the women's word that Jesus was alive until he saw it for himself. That Peter now stands up in front of all these people, and he's not in Galilee, guys. He's not in friendly territory. He's in the same city that just weeks before said crucify him. He's in the same city that he ran away from. He's in the same city that the apostles locked themselves away so that these people wouldn't know where they were. He's in that city in public, and he stands up and preaches. And he doesn't preach a soft message. He preaches a powerful message. And the 11 don't hide in the building and say, Peter, take a bullet for us. They stand up with him. It's proof of the Spirit of God. Here's what happens. This is what he says. Acts 2.14, but Peter, taking a stand with the 11, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. In other words, it's only 9 a.m. But this is that which was spoken through the prophet Joel, that it shall be in the last days that I will pour forth of my spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your, old, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even my bond slaves, both men and women. I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they will prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, this is what we're in right now. So he's just labeled the day he's in as really the beginning of the last days. Right? He says, this is the last days. Now, he also talks about some things, and you might say, well, didn't the sky turn dark when Jesus was crucified? Yes, it did. But I, I believe that he's talking about some things that haven't yet happened as well. And I believe that there are some of those things that are still yet to happen. That when we hear about the great notable day of the Lord, when the scripture talks about that, after the day of Pentecost, they're still talking about it. Paul talks about it to the Thessalonians. He talks about the day of the Lord. He talks about some stuff that's going to happen. I don't believe that's happened yet. I believe we know that that happened. I know there's been groups of people, there's whole denominations that kind of formed around Jesus coming back in the 1800s. I don't think that happened. We're still waiting on that. But we're in those last days. We're in a transitional season it's the age of the church. Some have called it the age of grace. What we're in, and I'm not a dispensationalist. I, I, don't, I, I don't believe that, well, that, that, that ended when John died, and now we're in this new age. No, we're in this transitional season that began at the day of Pentecost, and it'll end, it, it, it will, it'll transition out when Christ returns, and eventually when he sets his own kingdom up. We're in this period right now where his kingdom is here, and yet the kingdoms of this world are still here, and they're clashing. And they're, they're both there at the same time. There's the invisible kingdom that's in us, that's, that's moving in us, that goes with us, that, that we can say the kingdom of God is near you. That's here right now. And yet he talks about a kingdom that's to come when the lion will lay down with the lamb and the child will stick his hand in the adder's nest and not be afraid. He talks about a time where there will be peace because he rules with a rod of iron. That's not here yet. Listen, if Jesus were ruling with a rod of iron right now, the news would be different. That's right. 
You know that, right? We're not in that day yet. So what are we in? But we're in the last days. Well, if the last day started then, because he clearly says this is this. In the last days, this is what will happen. Then we're still in it, but we're further along on the timeline, right? You know, I quoted from this earlier, but in Romans it says this. Now salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. So you see, Paul first believed after the day of Pentecost. But he says salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Why? Because time's moving that direction, right? It's coming closer. If, the, if it was close then, it's closer now. We're going to talk about this on a different week, but Peter says in his letters, and I quoted this on Sunday, he says, in the last days there'll be mockers who say, when's the promise of his coming? For from the days of our forefathers we've been saying this and nothing's changed. And he goes on to say, God is not slow concerning his promises, but God is patient. So Peter straight up says, there's going to be people that say, we've been talking about the last days for thousands of years. How, how long is this going to go on? It's kind of cool that somebody said that to, you know, thousands of years ago. So that the excuse comes up now and we go, yeah, God knew about that. God knew you'd be making that excuse. God knew you'd be saying that. He told us about it. He said, in the last days, that'll be an issue. In the last days, people will be fatigued. Why does the scripture have to keep telling us to be awake? Wake up, wake up, wake up. Because we're prone, when we've been hearing the same thing, we're prone to be fatigued by it. We're, we're worn down by it. We don't want to hear another sermon about that. We've already heard about that. And the temptation is, is that you grow hardened to it. You grow tired to it. And, and part of that is, is because we've preached something that has no discernible action to it. Right? See, when you preach a sermon that you can't act on, it's difficult for you to keep hearing that sermon. Let's face it. Now, I believe there's some stuff you need to hear about before it happens. Amen? Build the ark before the rain comes. But even that has action to it. When you say the flood's coming, what do you do? You start building the ark. That has some action attached to it. I believe that when we talk about the last days, there's action attached to it right now. There's something you can do right now. There's stuff you need to prepare in your hearts right now. Because he doesn't say the last days are coming. We're in them now. We're here now. My dad used to always say this. He said, I don't know if Jesus is coming in my generation. He, or actually, I'm sorry, he didn't say that. He said, I don't know if this is the last generation, but I know it's my last generation. You don't get another one. We're not Buddhists. You're not coming back as a, as a magpie. This is it. This is your shot, right? Lazarus eventually died. So there's, there's no, sec, there's no like, you know, we'll, we'll, if we don't get it this round, we'll get it the next. This is it for you. So your job, whether you're the last runner in the race or not, your job is to run your section of the race. Because we're running a giant relay race. Hebrews 11 says that if we don't finish our race, the ones who came before us, their race isn't done. Because it's not a single person race. You're not running a race, and Mary's running a race, and Tina's running a race. No, we're all running the same race, and we're passing the baton, and we're running it together. And at the end of the day, we're finishing the race that Abraham ran. We're finishing the race that David ran. They're, or they're part of our race. And they're watching, and they're, they're, they're cheering. I, and I don't know how that works, but, you know, I know... That, that we are surrounded by that cloud. And I know that someday they'll say, you finished your job, I finished mine, therefore we're done. Amen. 
and the work of the Lord is continued. So let's read again. Watch what he says. This is that that the prophet Joel spoke about. These are those days. You know, one of the brilliant things, and this is what we really want to focus on tonight. It won't take long, but what I really want to focus on is that one of the, one of the most important things for living in these times, in these last days, and let's just say it this way, if it was the last days when Peter walked, it's even more so the last days here. Right? We're, we're more into it. Because even when Peter said this, these are the last days, Peter later says, there's some things ahead that you need to be aware of. Jude says it. Paul says it. John says it. They, they, they see some things in the future, and they're saying, guys, you need to be ready because this is what's going to happen. Hebrews starts out by saying, in, in the former days, God spoke through prophets, and he spoke through these things. But he says, now, now in these last days, he's spoken to us through Jesus. I love that. Hebrews says, now, in these last days, God spoke to us through Jesus. When we look to Jesus, we look to the Son. And it's so important in these days. This is what's required of us. This is how you live in these days and not get worn out. This is how you live in these days and not get overwhelmed. This is how you live in these days and not be taken off guard. You walk by the Spirit. We have to walk by the Spirit. One of the brilliant things about this is that when Peter says this is that, you know what's happening? Something's happening that didn't happen a lot when Jesus walked the earth with Peter. When Jesus walked the earth with Peter, it says this was to fulfill this prophecy, but they didn't know it at this time because the Holy Spirit had not yet come. Or Jesus was talking about his death, but they didn't get it. Or Jesus was talking about his resurrection, but they didn't get it because the Spirit had not been given to them. Do you understand that they couldn't make the link? They're living here and they don't know what's going on. They're freaked out by it. They don't know why Jesus is doing what he's doing. And the, the writers later say this was to fulfill prophecy. But the disciples at the time aren't getting it. And there's more than one place in the Gospels where it says the reason they didn't get it was because they didn't yet have the Spirit. One of the benefits of having the Spirit living in you is you're aware of what's going on. You, you can connect yourself to what, what God said back there, right? So Peter gets up, and he doesn't just say, guys, this is freaking me out too. I don't know what's going on. I wish someone would explain it to me. Peter finally is saying, this is, this is that prophecy. We're, we're in it. And he keeps doing it. See, when he shows up at Cornelius' house and he argues with God three separate times, finally God gets through to him and says, go to this man's house and preach the gospel. Peter preaches the gospel with no expectations. Just, okay, I'm supposed to tell him. And he preaches the gospel and the whole house starts speaking in other tongues, filled with the Spirit, and Peter goes, well, I guess they got saved. <laughs> I mean, you know, he acted like we would act. I didn't do an altar call. What are you doing? You skip steps. <laughs> You're supposed to come down here. Then we're supposed to say, do you know about this? And, and lead you. Maybe you go to a beginner's class. No, he, they just psh, start speaking in other tongues. And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And he goes, well, I guess, they, I guess the Gentiles can get saved then. <laughs> but when he goes back... And he explains himself to the disciples at Jerusalem. Then he explains himself at the council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. 
There are some of these people that still don't think the Gentiles can be saved. And if they can, they have to become Jews. So they have to, one of the things that, it says the Pharisees that got saved. You see, there were Pharisees that got saved, but they still kind of had Pharisee attitudes. It says there were Pharisees that had believed that said, these people must become Jewish, and they must eat like we do, and they must be circumcised. Peter and Paul show up at that council and say, we don't think that's true. Now, you could be one of those people that just says, that's not my experience. But we all know that that has a bit of weight, but it doesn't have all the weight in the world. So Peter and Paul don't just say, this is our experience. They do tell them their experience. But they also go back and say, this is what the scripture said. This is what Jesus told us. Didn't he tell us that this would spread to the Gentiles? Didn't the scripture say hundreds of years ago that this was going to be for the Gentiles too? And then they say, and look what happened when it, when it happened. Look at the testimony of the Spirit. You see what they're doing? It's the testimony of the Word and the Spirit together. They're, they're testifying together. Peter and Paul don't get up and just say, if you don't believe it, you're a bunch of doubters. No, they respectfully present the Word and the Spirit are agreeing. Look at what's happening. And it says that James, who's the leader of the guy, a leader of the group that disagrees, He's kind of the ringleader who's opposed to this. He says, you know what? The scripture did say that this would come on the Gentiles. And he says, I, I, th I think we can all agree that the door of the God's opened a door to the Gentiles, a door of faith for them. So here's what's happening. Once again, Peter is seeing himself in the scripture. He's saying, we're living this out. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit in them now. Think about the road to Emmaus. Jesus sneaks up on a couple of disciples. And he says, hey, guys, what's going on? And they say, oh, well, you know. He says, why do you guys look so sad? And they said, haven't you heard? Where have you been? They say, Jesus, this guy we've been following, they crucified him. We thought he might be the Messiah. You see, they're already doubting that he was the Messiah because it didn't turn out like they thought. And it says that Jesus walks with them, and you know the story. Jesus walks with them, and starting from the beginning of the Old Testament, for they start go back to Moses. And I, I think when he says go back to Moses, he's not starting with Moses the man. He's starting what Moses wrote, which is Genesis. <laughs> Move on forward. Starting with Moses and moving on, he shows them himself throughout the scripture. And their eyes are open to it. They still don't know they're talking to Jesus until later. But like later when he departs, they say, didn't our hearts burn within us? When he began to talk, you see, they experienced the Holy Spirit. They experienced, they, they, they experienced what it was like for the Holy Spirit to open their eyes to you are living out prophecy. Now this is the coolest thing about being part of the church in these days is that God's already told us about this. He's already prepared us for it. We're walking it out. Now what we need to do is be just like those apostles, be full of the Spirit, be awake, be alert, be aware. And say, I'm living in these days. I'm living for this time right now. Sometimes our error is we get too specific. I'm living in these days, and my next door neighbor is the Antichrist. <laughs> I'm living in these days, and I know who the beast is. You know, we, we sometimes get carried away with trying to nail down the specifics too much. But we are living in the last days, and the scripture all up to this point has been leading up to this. Now, really, 
properly, all scripture in the Old Testament points to the cross. And all scripture in the New Testament points back to the cross. But it also does this. They both point to the cross, but they're also still pointing ahead to the return of Christ. That's the cool thing about God. He can point to one, more than one place at once. A prophecy in the Old Testament that's meant to be a reassuring to a king who's living in that time can also be prophesying about the birth of Jesus Christ. That's the cool thing about when God talks. his layers to it. I want you to see what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1. We quoted this on Sunday, so it's tying together with what we're talking about tonight. While you're turning there, let me give you another example. Paul, uh, Paul started talking about the Israelites. Talk about the Israelites wandering through the wilderness and coming to the promised land and rejecting the promised land and all the stuff that they went through. And he said, he said to the New Testament believers, he said, all of these hap things happen to them as an example for us to whom the ends of the ages have come. Do you hear that? We're living in the end, but we can learn from those guys back there. All of these things happen to them as an example for us to whom the ends of the ages have come. What he's saying is you spirit-filled believers need to see that the scripture's been talking about you before you were born, that all of this is teaching us something, that we see these things come to pass in our day. We see God at work back then, right here, and in the future. And we see ourselves as part of it. And that's the coolest thing. We're part of this. We're part of the end times. We're part of the last days. I don't know how long that goes. I don't know. I know, that, I know that I believe Jesus is coming soon because he said it. He also said he's coming quickly, and those are different things. I've said that before. But Jesus is coming soon is different than Jesus is coming quickly. Coming quickly is not when he's coming, it's how he's coming. In a blink of an eye, Right? As lightning flashes from the east to the west, that's how I'm coming. Like a thief in the night, that's how I'm coming. So what we're talking about, you know, sometimes when we see those scriptures about him coming quickly, we've read that as he's coming right now, rather than how he's coming. But he says those that are awake, his church, we're going to be aware of the season. We're not going to be taken off guard like the rest of the world. He says this in 1 Peter 1. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an, obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Thank God for that. Reserved in heaven for you. Thank God there's something reserved for you in heaven. That is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. Then he says this, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So why am I confident today about my future? Why am I confident today about Judgment Day? Why am I confident today that I can tell you I know I'm going to heaven? Why am I confident that I'm not going to die ever again, that even when my body quits, I'm going to live? Is because I know through faith that I'm being protected for that salvation. Amen. 
Thank God. That says this, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So knowing what's ahead of me is going to help me get through what I'm going through right now, that I'm looking in the right direction. Look what's waiting for me. Look what's coming up. This, is a, this might be a tough part right here, but look what's coming up for me. Keep my eyes on what's ahead. Don't get frustrated by this season. This season is going to seem so short when you get to the other season. Right? When you're training, if you're an athlete and you're training, it doesn't feel good when you're training. But when you're thinking of what's coming up ahead, what's, what's this preparing me for? You can, you can bear through some trial, right? You can bear through some pain. You can bear through some discomfort because you know what's coming up ahead. And that's exciting. I know what's coming. I know that I have some opposition right now. I know that the enemy doesn't want us to succeed. I know that he's throwing everything he's got at me, but I know the end of this. We win. Right? You know, I, we, T and I just went to the museum's exhibit of, of World War I Flanders, you know, the Canadians that fought in Flanders. And it's amazing that the stuff they had to go through in that mud in Belgium. People would drown in mud. A soldier would just be walking and disappear. And drown him. Like it was just one, one soldier said, uh, and I read this at the World War I Museum in Kansas City. He said, he said, hell is not fire, hell is mud. Like they, these guys, these guys were in, uh, in a mess. They're getting shot at, they're getting bombed. And, and when things are going good, the best of the circumstances is when they're, they're dying of infection and stuff in a mud pit. And all these guys keep enduring because of the hope of victory. They don't know they're going to win. They just kind of think, well, we think we might. And they endured. How much more a believer who knows there's victory ahead of us, who is assured of that victory because I'm not protecting myself for salvation. I am being protected through faith for salvation to come. So my faith isn't in my ability to keep myself. My faith is in his ability to keep me. That's pretty exciting. So if those dudes can endure all of that without assurance of victory, how much more when I know what's ahead? That's why when we talk about the last times, anytime you see the last time, the end times in the scripture, it's never meant to freak you out. It's meant to encourage you. We're almost there, guys. What does the scripture say? The night is almost gone. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. You'll never see talk of Jesus' return or the last days or the day of the Lord that doesn't encourage you and doesn't tell you this is how we live in response to this. It changes how you live right now. So if the fruit of us talking about the end times in 2018 is for people to get disillusioned and walk away or to get people scared, then is that fruit the right fruit from what God, I mean, is this, is this really what it's supposed to do? What we should be is encouraged. What we should be is prepared. What we should be are, is awake. And here's what he says. Verse 8. I love this verse. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but you believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, 
obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ, and listen to this, and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which now have been announced through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which, into which angels long to look. So the prophecies of the Old Testament weren't just for the people of the Old Testament. They were serving us. They were for us in these days who have received this salvation. And then he says this, therefore, and we, read, we talked about this on Sunday, therefore, Gird your minds for actions. Pull up your pants. Gird up the loins of your mind. Prepare for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he goes on and he gives you uh, practical advice on how to live in response to that. How to lay aside your old lusts and, and ways and how, how to embrace that, that because he's holy, I can be holy. And that all comes from hope. So when I have the Spirit of God in me, my, my eyes are open, I'm awake, and now I can see, I can see that those prophecies, that Old Testament, all of that was leading up to this. Leading up to this age of resurrected saints. Leading to this age of people born again, full of the Spirit of God. Leading to this age of the church of Jesus Christ. Leading up to this age of the body of Christ moving and acting. And, and this is what's so cool about what God has prepared us for. We're the folks. Remember in the parable, you've got the folks that walk before the bridegroom. And they, 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 they walk before the bridegroom and prepare the way for him. And I know he's talking about the house of Israel. But there's a picture there for us as well. That, that in some way, we're preparing the way once again for Jesus. That as John the Baptist prepared the way in the spirit of Elijah, so we are now preparing the way for his return again. Yes. And that's exciting. So I don't want you to get nervous or fatigued when you hear talk about the end times or the last days. We need to be aware of it. We need to be awake. We need to be alive. We need to be excited. And we need to look back so that we can look forward. See yourself in this book. See yourself in these prophecies. More than anything, see Jesus in it. You've got a part to play in the story of history that's been written before the foundation of the world. This is exciting stuff. Through the next few weeks, we're going to talk about, we're going to read the passages of Scripture that specifically say, in the last days, this is what's going to happen, and this is what you need to do. So that we can say, all right, I'm not just going to talk about the, the, the last days like it's some sort of fun little apocalyptic thriller. It's a zombie invasion. I'm going to talk about it like the Bible talks about it. A time when the darkness gets dark, but the light gets lighter. A time when the kings of the earth take their stand, but the glory of God shines bright. The church is not going to wither away into obscurity it's going to stand strong in these days and bear witness to Christ. Thank God we're, we're, on, we're standing in and on the verge of the great end time harvest. We're, we're here in this glorious time that, that nations are going to turn, that 
people all over the world are going to hear about Jesus. There's, I, you know, I, I don't believe there's going to be an end to rebellion until Jesus comes and puts the end to it. Do you know what I mean? As much as we preach the gospel, there'll, there'll be those still in rebellion. That's what the scripture says. I don't think it all just fades away. I think what we read in Revelation is there's going to be a showdown. But man, it's an exciting time to be alive. We get to be part of it. And I can't wait for the Lord's return. I'm so excited for it. And here's how, here's how my excitement affects me now. It doesn't affect me, so I buy a cabin on a mountain. It affects me to want to live right now with anticipation. Live right now with eagerness. Live right now in faith. Live right now in hope. Looking forward to Jesus' return means when it gets hard right here, I don't get bogged down or frustrated or scared. I know that the night's almost done. The day is at hand. So I'm going to put on my armor of light. I'm going to walk in light. I'm going to finish doing what he put me here to do. And if I finish that by going to the grave, I finish that by going to the grave. If I finish that by looking up at the clouds and he's there, that's fine too. Either way, we're going to meet him in the clouds. Amen. So praise the Lord. Let's stand up. Let's pray.